Well, good afternoon, everyone. So our subject this afternoon is the real Christmas story. Um, and today is the 16th of December, isn't it? So what's happening at, at this point of time in the world? What do we see all around us? Well, we're really in the heat of Christmas season, aren't we? Um, I think it, it starts earlier and earlier each year. Um, I think we were, were probably all amazed when it, uh, it was the end of November and Christmas was starting. And that was probably only a few years ago that we were thinking that. And now it's, it's you almost think nothing of it, do you? That you can see the Halloween stuff and the Christmas stuff in there mid-October. It just seems to be earlier and earlier. And some people even celebrate Christmas all year round uh, as well, don't they? It's, it's really a season of advertising overload. Um, we've got the build-up to it with, th with Thanksgiving, which we don't even celebrate in, in the UK. But uh, everything that comes with that, like Black Friday and Cyber Monday... It's, uh, it's all about the presents, it's all about Santa, the songs, the trees, the overeating and so on, isn't it? It's a, it's, a crazy, it's a crazy time of year, isn't it? And I think, um, I think what we see in this time is that, uh, that Jesus is being forgotten from day-to-day -day life generally. And even at Christmas, I think Jesus is, is being forgotten as well. Uh, even those many who do remember him at this time of year, um, he's he's perhaps secondary. I would say, Maybe it's a, it's a, I wouldn't make that as a sweeping statement, but um, generally, I think Jesus is a lower priority at Christmas time to all the other things. And even when we think about things like the the nativity, think of all the things which have have been merged into the the nativity, which we don't find in the Bible. Um, just picking out a few little things. Think of the the um, the songs about like the three kings. Um, well, for one, we're not told that they were kings at all. Um, there were probably wise men or astrologers. Um, we assume there are three because there's three gifts. But again, that's not something which uh, the Bible explicitly states. Um, the the wise men as well. If you think of the nativity scene, you've got. Uh, Jesus in the in the manger with the shepherds, all the different types of animals and the wise men uh, there. But if you read the Bible record, uh, the wise men um, visited uh, months, perhaps even a couple of years, up to a couple of years later um, than what the, the nativity shows. If we think about what uh, what time of year it all happened. The, we're, we're told the shepherds are, are out on the hills tending their flocks overnight. Considering the temperature and the climate in, um, in Israel at that time of year, uh, that's not something the shepherds would be doing. They wouldn't be out, they would be down uh, inside in the lowlands um, with the, the sheep at that time. Some think it happened in September, we don't know. But it's just another one of these things which is uh, a bit... Uh, which is inaccurate in what we we tend to see in the, the story. Um, one interesting thing, the, the final thing before I get onto the real uh, the real part of my talk is um, I did I did sort of wonder well why is it December the twenty fifth? Um, I'd, I'd sort of previously thought is it to do with the the winter solstice and the the shortest day of the year and how it had been combined with um, with with various festivals. Um, but I, I think. Um, uh, 
according to one source, it seems to date back to AD 204, um, when a chap called Hippolytus of Rome decided that because Jesus had died on the 25th of March, I'm not sure where he got that date from, but um, traditionally, uh, if he died on the 25th of March, and combined with another tradition stating that a righteous man would die on the same day they were conceived, then the nine-month difference gives you December the 25th, and that seems to be where the date came from. So you can see within that, there's a lot of different parts um, that have brought Christmas or the uh, nativity to what we have today. And I think the clear thing there, there, or the thing you may have noticed, is that I didn't go to the Bible at all for any of that, did I? Um, all of these things are external to the Bible. So coming back to our title, The Real Christmas Story, what is it we're trying to pick out from the Bible message about this time, about, about the events that we think of at Christmas? What is the real story? Now we read, uh, by way of introduction, um, the first 20 verses of, of Luke chapter 2, and that gives us a nice little summary. But we're not actually going to focus on, on that today, because when I was reading through the two records of the birth of Jesus, um, which you can find in the first few chapters of Matthew and the first few chapters of Luke, um, I think one thing which jumps out is uh, across both records is the promises that God makes to different people. Um, so what I'd like to look at today to discover the real Christmas story is I'd like to look at just who God makes promises to. Um, and second, the secondary part of that is, well, why is that important to us? Because um, I, was, I always like to sort of bring it back to, to ourselves uh, when we look at these things. There's no, there's no point in just looking at this as, a, as an academic exercise. It's got to be something which can be meaningful to to us, and that I think that helps bring it to life for us as well. So we're going to look at a few little characters as we go through here. Um, one point I'll make is um, the Bible makes uh, lots of predictions, which it calls prophecies, um, and a prophecy is something God says that will happen. Um, and therefore, in in my mind, as uh, as someone who believes that what the, the, the Bible is the inspired word of God and that what it says is, is God's promise to mankind, uh, I'm, I'm going to be using promise and prophecy interchangeably because um, I, I believe that if God says that something's going to happen, then that's a promise from God. Um, so if, you, if, you're, if your version says prophecy, um, I'll be talk, talking about it more as a promise, um, if, if, if that makes sense. So um, we will we'll be most, most of our time in Luke, um, so keep your finger uh, there if we are dotting uh, to a couple of other passages. But I'd like to, I'd like to consider just the previous chapter um, of Luke where we let, of, of Luke in uh, Luke chapter one. Um, we'll go in at uh, verse 11 of Luke chapter one. So this is uh, an angel of the Lord appearing to a man called Zechariah, who's the, who becomes the father of John the Baptist. Uh, and it says, uh, verse 11, An angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you are to give him the name John. 
He will be a joy and delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. And what we see here is God promising a son to two people who were faithful and had probably given up hope in having a son because um, because of their of their old age at that point. And the chapter goes on to tell us exactly who he will become. Uh, that he will become John the Baptist, who, who will go before Jesus and proclaim that Jesus is coming. And of course, this happened exactly as God promised. <coughs> Nine months later, Elizabeth did have a son, and they called him John, and he was to become the person who would go before Jesus. And in the uh, later part of the chapter, Zechariah sings a song of praise. Um, it says, verse 67, that he was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come and has redeemed his people. We can see in, in the whole um, song that Zechariah sings here, the, the praise uh, and the faith that he has and, and the love he has for God and for Israel. In the same chapter, we also have a promise to Mary. We have the foretelling of the birth of Jesus. Back in verse um, 28, uh, another angel um, appears, and this is to Mary this time. And the angel says, greetings, you who are highly favoured. The Lord is with you. And it goes on saying, Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. The angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favour with God and you will be with child and give birth to a son. And you are to give him the name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. So we have a promise here from the angel or from God to Mary about the promise of a son, the Messiah. And there's so much that you could dissect in those few short verses. Will be um, th those, those verses there are fulfillments of prophecies back in Isaiah, which we'll come to um, in the sort of second half of, of this talk, just to see what God has said in the past as well about who this man will become. So we have a, a promise here to Mary. And of course, we know that the Bible tells us that this came true as well. We read that, didn't we, in the in the start of Luke chapter 2, that Mary did indeed give birth to a child called Jesus. Alongside this time, um, maybe you, do, you don't need to come here with me, but uh, I'm just going to flick back to the Matthew uh, record um, at this point. Uh, around the same sort of time that Mary did become pregnant, her husband-to-be Joseph um, of course, uh, having not married her yet, um, it, it tells us that he uh, didn't want to expose her to public disgrace. So he had a mind to disgrace her quietly. But uh, another angel appears to Joseph um, explaining what the situation was. It says, uh, Matthew 1 verse 20, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because... What is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. 
So we have another promise here to Joseph explaining the events and again backing up what had been said to Mary and what happened to Mary about the promise of a Messiah. And we can read on and see that Joseph did as the angel instructed. He had faith and he took Mary to be his wife. So after Jesus was born, he was taken to the temple. Um, so back in Luke chapter uh, Luke chapter two, he's presented at the, the temple um, after uh, after eight days, um, as as was common, uh, as as was custom, uh, to be circumcised. And there are two people that uh, they meet there. The first one is a man called Simeon in uh, chapter two, verse twenty-five of Luke. It says, yes, it describes Simeon in verse 25 as being righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was upon him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And that's exactly what happens. God had promised to him that he would see Jesus before he died and he, and he does see him. And look what he says when he takes Jesus in his arms. Verse 29, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, dismiss your servant in peace, for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have, been, which you have prepared in the sight of all people, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. Simeon praises God there and prophesies about the future. And a second person they meet is a prophetess called Anna, down in verse uh, 36. We learn there that she'd been widowed for most of her life, but she knew the Old Testament and was waiting for the Messiah. And when she saw Jesus, she, uh, in verse 38, she comes up to Mary and Joseph and she gives thanks to God and she preaches about what Jesus will become and how he will save their people um, it says there the redemption of Jerusalem in verse 38. So just looking at those five little, uh, a few verses for these five or six little characters, we see God making a number of promises. Some had been made many years before. Others were just before the events occurred. But the thing we see in each situation is that the people react with well, they react with a number of different attitudes, but in the end, they show faith, they show belief, they show joy, and they show hope. They're in, they're in this situation for God to call them because of their faith. They're waiting in the temple for something to happen because they believe that what God had said to them would happen. They're devout and they believe God. And there's a great lesson to, to us there, isn't there, in, in what, these, what these people do, what these people's reactions are to the, to the situations that they're in. We see throughout the Bible promises, don't we? One of the first promises was, was back in Genesis chapter 3, when mankind sinned and Eve is given a promise about a saviour about there to be someone who will save mankind from their sins, from the, the situation which had happened in the, uh, in the Garden of Eden. 
We can look through the book of Genesis. We can read the promises to Abraham, to Isaac and to Jacob. And then on into to David. All of these, all of these um, men are promised that there will be descendants, that they will uh, inhabit a land and they will be innumerable. And that it will be something which will happen forever. We see in these promises the birth of Jesus, I think. We see the promise of the Messiah. And so, remember our subject title, The Real Christmas Story. It's all about the promises about the birth of Jesus, about the saviour of the world. And this, is, this comes throughout the Bible. I'd like to look at a few verses in Isaiah to see what Isaiah tells us about um, Israel in general, but more importantly about what um, what it says about about the the Messiah, the Savior of the world. Um, let's go to uh, Isaiah seven to start with. Isaiah Isaiah 7 and verse um, 14. Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. He will eat curds and honey when he knows enough to reject the wrong and choose the right. But before the boy knows enough to reject the wrong and choose the right, the land of the two kings you dread will be laid waste. And we see in these these little verses here, the promise of, of this man Jesus. The, um, the, a couple of chapters on, in, um, in chapter 9, verse 6, says, um, I'm just going partly, partly way through here, um, Isaiah 9, verse 6, For to us a child is born, and to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. He will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. In these verses here, we see the promise of the Messiah. But it's not enough just to look at, at these prophecies about the birth of, of, a, of a baby, is it? Because the whole reason that this child was born was because God loved the world. John 3 verse 16 is a very famous verse, isn't it, about um about how much God loved the world and that because of his love for the world he gave his son so there's more to it isn't there there's more than just the birth reading on there in verse um, 7 of uh, of Isaiah 9 of the increase of his, of his government and, and peace there will be no end he will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. This child is going to reign over an everlasting kingdom. We can read the New Testament and, the, and it tells us lots of, lots of incredible things that, um, that Jesus did. Think of the things he did that were miraculous, like walking on water feeding 5,000 people with just a, a couple of fishes and some small pieces of bread. He healed people with incurable diseases. 
but he also did many things that were non-miraculous. He loved those whose society had rejected. He taught people how to be good in God's eyes. And finally, he sacrificed himself for mankind. He did all this knowing that he would be rejected. Let's go to Isaiah 53. Jesus knew his Old Testament better than anyone. So he knew what the prophecies about the Messiah were. He knew what would happen to, to the Messiah. Uh, Isaiah 53, verse, verse 3. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and familiar with suffering. Like one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows, yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. So Jesus went about his life knowing that he would be rejected. He knew that he would be put on a cross by his, his kin. And I'm sure he also knew that he'd be rejected in today's world as well. But he also knew that he would be raised from the dead. Psalm 16 verse 10, for example, told him that. Psalm 16 verse uh, 10 reads, uh, or verse 9 for connection, Therefore my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body will also rest secure because you will not abandon me to the grave, nor will you let your Holy One see decay. David, when he wrote that psalm, he wrote it with a, a dual fulfilment in mind that God would not forget about him and God would not forget about his Holy One, Jesus. And God didn't forget about Jesus, did he? And because he did raise him from the dead, it meant that others after Jesus, his, his apostles and, and more, took the message out to the world so that we know the story too. And the final verse I'd like to take us to today is uh, in Acts chapter 1, verse 11. So we've looked at a few verses um, in, in Isaiah, verses that Jesus would have read and talked about things which hadn't yet happened. In Acts chapter 1, we have something similar because we've got a passage here which is written to the disciples, but it's also written to us because it's something that hasn't happened yet. Jesus has just been taken into heaven and the angels who are with the disciples say, Men of Galilee, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. This tells us that Jesus is going to return to the earth. Why, you might ask? It's to rid the world of pain, of suffering, of death. And as we read in one of the verses in Isaiah, it's to set up God's everlasting kingdom. So why is this important, you might ask? Why is it important to me? to you, to everyone who's listening to this talk. Well, as we've said, God made lots of promises in the Bible, and some of them, like this one in Acts, haven't yet happened. But it's an opportunity to us. That's why God has 
delayed sending Jesus back to the earth. It's an opportunity to everyone through the generations to have a part in the promises he's made. Remember the people we talked about earlier. Remember their reactions. They weren't, they weren't just sitting there passively, were they? They were active. They weren't lukewarm. They were doing everything they could. And that applies to us as well. It requires actions on our part. We're told to love God, to love our neighbours, to believe in Jesus as the saviour of the world, and then to repent and be baptised, and finally to live a life following these instructions. To have a part in God's promise, we need to do something. We see hope for the future throughout the Bible, and it's hope for our future. And we need to take action. We need to read the message if we want to have part of it.